the thing that I think about all the time that makes me cringe to this day is I remember in my first serious relationship when I was a young man, I said to my then girlfriend with a straight face, I said, if you even are attracted to anyone else at any time that we're together, I don't think we should be together. Welcome to Top Self, the podcast dedicated to relax your mind, achieve change, and become a healthier, more present you. Are you ready to move past the daily anxiety, comparing and doubting yourself, and feeling like you're not enough? I'm your host, Shannon Bryant, and I've ruined many good relationships because of my jealousy and stayed way too long in some bad ones because of my insecurity. But I stopped letting fear drive my actions. And now I can't wait to share with you as I dive into these emotions, shed light on how they might be impacting your life, and uncover strategies to break free from their grip. It's time to start living a life of confidence. So get ready to ignite your self worth and transform your life because, my friend, you are worthy. Welcome back to another episode of Top Self. I have with me today author, coach, podcast host, and founder of RetroactiveJealousy.com. Welcome, Zachary Stockhill. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. You know, when I was really trying to sort out some of my mess as a child of an alcoholic and growing up in that environment and trying to figure out you know, why am I the way that I am? I visited a couple of different therapists and one of the therapists gave me what's called the ACA laundry list. It's the like 14 characteristics of a child who grew up in that environment. And when I saw that list, it was like, oh my gosh, there's actually a list, which means I'm not the only person that struggles with this. And it means that there's probably a solution or a way to not feel these things anymore. And I would imagine that somebody who hears retroactive jealousy and hears what it is for the first time, it's probably a similar experience. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that there was a name for it. So can you start by talking about what is retroactive jealousy? It's a tough issue to define because it's so complicated and so varied among individuals. But in a nutshell, I define kind of standard run-of-the-mill jealousy or retroactive jealousy rather as unwanted intrusive thoughts, often obsessive curiosity, and what I call mental movies uh, involving your partner's past relationships and or dating slash sexual history. And if I can break that down a little further, my own kind of working definition for retroactive jealousy, I kind of divide it into three distinct categories. So type one retroactive jealousy would be, I would imagine most people in relationships can kind of relate. Like, you know, you hear something about your partner's past or you imagine them with their ex and you feel this kind of pain in your chest. It isn't the most pleasant thing for anyone to think about. That's what I call type one. Type two is what I'd find as more values-based retroactive jealousy, where you find out some detail about your partner's past or you learn a little more about something that suggests that maybe it's kind of a red flag, that there could be some moral incompatibility between you and your partner. There could be some uh, lack of sharing of values there. Certainly, uh, it, it comes up quite often. And type three is what I struggled with very intensely in my personal life many years ago, where it's almost more akin to OCD, where not only do you not like the details of your partner's past, but you can't stop thinking about them. 
I mean, I often say when I was struggling with this at the extreme end of things, my then girlfriend's past was the first thing I thought of when I woke up in the morning and the last thing I thought of when I went to bed at night. And I would be, you know, harassing her with all kinds of endless questions about the details of her past, you know, and I'd have this feeling that if I just get one or two more details, if I can just solve this riddle in my head and if I can get all the, you know, full disclosure, that's going to solve this problem for me. And of course, it only made it worse. And that is, yeah, I, I mean, the, the loose term is retroactive jealousy OCD. We definitely know that questions typically breed more questions, especially in this scenario, yeah. right? Talk to me a little bit about the first time you heard of retroactive jealousy, how you discovered it, what specifically was going on in your life at that time, and how did you stumble on it? It's a long, complicated story. The short version is I, I started struggling with it really intensely in my first serious relationship. So I'd been in high school relationships, but the first time I felt absolutely madly head over heels in love, uh, I was actually in university, or I guess in the States, you guys call it college. I was around 18, 19, and it would come and go. I'd have these intense waves of of anxiety, and I didn't know what I was feeling, and I just... I thought that, that her past meant that there was some kind of moral incompatibility, which in hindsight was totally ridiculous. I mean, my past was more colorful, for example, shall we say. I had more of a past than my partner, but nothing seemed to matter. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'd have uh, many sleepless nights, and I'm not proud of some of the things I did. I mean, like I say, I would ask her endless questions, and I would guilt her and all these things that are just totally ridiculous in hindsight. But I felt like I couldn't help myself, basically. And in short, I think, I mean, I can't actually remember the first time I encountered the term retroactive jealousy, but I can almost guarantee it was on, you know, one of my late night Google binges, just Googling endlessly, trying yeah. to get to the bottom of this, you know, girlfriend's past, can't stop thinking about my girlfriend's past. I can't remember exactly what I was looking for. But at one point that search led to some kind of open internet forum, I'm sure, because I used to spend a lot of time on these kind of dodgy open internet forums where it's kind of a free for all of people giving advice. Some of the advice was helpful. Most of it was not because most people simply, they just can't understand. They can't even fathom this issue. I mean, 99.9% .9 of the general population has never heard the term retroactive jealousy. And they assume that anyone who struggles with this is, you know, usually misogynist. They assume that it's only straight men that suffer from this, which is absolutely wrong. I mean, I've worked with lesbians. I've worked with trans people. I've worked with gay men. This is not a problem that is simply confined to straight men. And a lot of the the backlash, you know, that retroactive jealousy sufferers receive is really painful because for many of them, it's like, I don't want to feel this way. I don't hate women. I love women, but it's, I don't know what I'm feeling. And it's really confusing and frustrating and stifling. So yeah, I would imagine I encountered the term in one of those open forums many years ago. How did you come then to want to share your findings with, with other people and help them as well? Yeah, I think I had the inkling fairly early on in my recovery, once I started finding techniques that worked, once I started putting my own perspectives together on this problem, I had an inkling early on that if I ever had the chance, I would like to do something to to help people because many retroactive jealousy sufferers just feel totally isolated, totally misunderstood, totally alone. It's a pretty lonely road for most people. And like I say, there's not a lot of public understanding of this issue, certainly. So Pretty early on in my recovery, I remember I started working on a blog and I was actually using a fake name at that time because I was in graduate school pursuing another line of research and and I was still embarrassed, frankly. I was embarrassed to have acted this way. I was embarrassed to have been a retroactive jealousy sufferer. It was really just out of a, a deep feeling that someone needs to put a face on this issue. Someone needs to start talking about this publicly. 
And it wasn't easy, but eventually I decided that, you know, someone's got to do it. So it may as well be me. And I started counseling people privately, just giving advice and responding to endless emails and stuff on my blog. And I realized that there really is a need for greater public knowledge of this problem. And there's a need for solutions. And so that's what I've, I've tried to offer over the past 10 years. I can't believe it's been that long, but yeah, 10 years. Yeah, definitely. You've been at it for a very long time. Kind of a, yeah. the king of retroactive jealousy, if, if you oh my, will. What a weird so, title. I'm not sure how I feel about that. So it's right. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if you want that, Zach, but I think, you know, that, that's, that's all right. sort I'll of, take it. Um, yeah. Um, but I know that people are really so appreciative of you openly talking about it. And I know we both share in that of it's, it's sort of one of those things where I have to be very vulnerable myself and willing to put myself out there and talk about it in order to help other people to understand, like, we don't need to continue to feel embarrassed by it and that you can talk to people. I know that you have heard, and I certainly have heard from people that they have tried therapy or talking to their friends and they just don't feel like they're getting any resolution because most people have not experienced this, certainly in the severe degree that yeah. this can get to. And it's hard for people to to be able to help someone else that's suffering from this. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I want to be absolutely clear. I mean, therapy can be an absolutely incredible tool. If you find a good therapist, you know, yes. hold on to them, keep pursuing that if it's helpful. But one of the most common uh, complaints I hear from people is I tried talking about this with often several different therapists and they I just kept getting these blank stares or this kind of really judgmental, slightly uh, snotty attitude like, oh, you're just a misogynist or something. Um, so it, it's a very difficult thing to talk about. Um, I mean, public knowledge, again, as I say, is in its infancy. I've been fortunate enough to start working with some researchers from different universities about this issue and collaborating on some some different surveys and some different research projects. So I'm pleased to say that that is changing. But I can, if, if you don't mind, I'll speak to the whole embarrassment part a little bit because I think that this is important. Yeah. So so two stories. I mean, number one, you know, I remember when I when I came out in air quotes, you know, as the as you know, I put my real name on my book, I started making YouTube videos with my real name and face and all the rest. And I was actually having lunch with a, a woman that I used to date and I, she'd just become a friend and we were talking and I was talking very frankly about, you know, I, I wonder about the impact this is going to have on my dating life because, you know, I go out on a date with a, with a woman, she Googles me and it's like, wow. And my friend looked at me with a straight face and she said, Zach, the book is called Overcoming Retroactive Jealousy. And it sounds cheesy, but that moment really meant a lot to me because I realized that suffering with this problem is not necessarily embarrassing. It's really what you do with it is what really matters. And I'm pleased to say that over the past 10 years, it hasn't been an issue whatsoever for my, for my dating life. And the second thing I would say to anyone out there who's feeling embarrassed or, or a sense of shame around this issue, obviously I can't and won't disclose names, but I've worked with many clients at the absolute peaks of their professions. Even some people would know if I said their names. Celebrities of various stature, you know, people at the, again, just people at the absolute peaks and on the outside looking in, it would be insane to think that this person is struggling with retroactive jealousy, but those people can struggle with this as well. This is not an issue that is merely confined to people with absolutely zero confidence or zero success or, or whatever. And there's nothing inherently shameful about suffering from this problem. I think that, what, you know, what's important is that you do something about it. Well, thank you so much for going back and talking about that because 
it is important. We never want someone to suffer in silence because they don't want to reach out and talk to someone about it or or attempt to get help for it. So thank you for that. I did want to talk a little bit about you mentioned some of the things that you did in the past and like not necessarily being proud of them. I'm right there with you. Some of the things that I have done in my relationship, even with my husband, kind of make me cringe a little bit looking back. And I think that sometimes people also see someone who is suffering from jealousy as someone who is very controlling, maybe narcissistic. I mean, we get a lot of those things. Can you talk a little bit about that and the things that people may do when they're suffering from this? Yeah. One one thing I'll note to start off is one of the really interesting things about this particular form of jealousy, if you can call it that, retroactive jealousy, is uh, I would I'm, I guess I would probably say a majority of sufferers actually don't exhibit the more normal jealous behaviors in their relationship. They're not super controlling. They don't have those constant mate guarding instincts in the present as it relates to the present. Um, but they have them in extreme with regards to their partner's past. Kind of interesting there. And I think that it's fair to say I fit in that into that category as well. I'd had some vaguely jealous pangs with regards to my partner's present, you know, like, I don't know, I'm at a bar and I, some sexy guy walks by and he comes to chat up my girl, something like that, but never in extreme at all, actually. Retroactive jealousy for most people involves symptoms like, well, just the intrusive thoughts I have to mention once again, often constant, really graphic sexual imagery in the head, a constant curiosity. There's this feeling that if I just get the answer to one or two, and then it turns into 10, and then it turns into 50 more questions, and on and on, if I just get the answer to these questions, often about very granular details about their partner's past. I mean, what were you wearing? What was he wearing? Where did you do it? Where did this happen? What did you say to her? You know, all, all of these things, very granular details. And so that can involve things like these interrogation sessions, essentially, with one's partner, where you're just constantly grilling them but all the details of their past, there's often a lot of shaming involved, even if the person's past is 100% normal. Because I think the retroactive jealousy suffer, they're trying to rationalize their feelings. So they tell themselves, I only feel this way because there's actually some problem, there's actually some moral incompatibility. And like I say, that can be involved in certain cases of retroactive jealousy, 100%. Sometimes walking away is absolutely the right decision for everyone involved. But in my experience, in the majority of cases, that's actually not accurate. And once the person starts getting a handle on their problem, they realize that at a fundamental level, there's no incompatibility between me and my wife or me and my husband or me and my boyfriend or girlfriend. This is simply about my own fears, my own insecurities. So the endless questioning sessions is a big one, or at least the impulse to ask a million questions is a big one among retroactive jealousy sufferers. There's often a lot of... Um, Social media stalking, too. I mean, Facebook and Instagram are a great tool for anyone who wants to kind of sift through the details of their partner's past, as we all know. So often, retroactive jealousy sufferers will go on these mad Facebook binges and they'll go to the, you know, all through the person's timeline and who's this person tagged in that photo and what does this comment mean? And as you know, it's very easy to misread and misinterpret that stuff on social media. But obviously, that adds a lot of fuel to the speculative fire that is retroactive jealousy. Often people spend a lot of time, again, Googling, just spending hours and hours and hours on internet, internet forums looking for relief. So those are some of the kind of the ways that retroactive jealousy plays out in terms of actions. Being upset about the partner's past is the fundamental piece of this. But it can even be that the person who is suffering from retroactive jealousy 
has, as you said, a more colorful past than the person, than their partner who they are questioning, right? Extremely common. I mean, a lot of the time I think people write to me and they assume that, well, my partner's past is slightly more colorful than mine. So if our pasts were somehow equal, in air quotes, you know, if I'd had the same number of sexual partners, if I'd had the same number of relationships, then I wouldn't be struggling with retroactive jealousy. And I can only point to myself as an example that that's not true, not necessarily true, and a small army of other people who I've heard from where they have the exact same story. Sometimes their their past is, you know, two, three, four, ten times more colorful, shall we say, than their partners, and they're still struggling at the extreme end of things. Another myth that I really want to start to take apart in terms of the public discourse around this issue is somehow the idea that just because you're having a certain reaction to your partner's past, that automatically means there's some moral incompatibility in the relationship. I'm sure you're familiar with the the so-called manosphere and red pill communities. And a lot of these guys find these online communities and a lot of the advice they get basically tells them to anytime you have any kind of reaction to any woman's past, you know, that's, you know, on to the next one kind of thing. Uh, which I think is totally senseless. I mean, again, sometimes there are glaring red flags. Sometimes there are incompatibilities and walking away is the right choice. But the point is you should spend the time to get a handle on your brain, to get a handle on the intrusive thoughts before you can see clearly enough to make such a momentous life decision, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. Horrible advice, actually, of stepping out and ending a relationship without first really determining what's going on so what well, if I could just very briefly, I want to say to these guys giving that advice, like many of my clients, they're married to absolutely, just to use the male example, they're married to absolutely incredible women. They've got children. She's been an absolutely fantastic wife. Her past is by no means out of the ordinary whatsoever. And I want to say to these guys, so what are you suggesting? Are you suggesting that guy blow up his entire life, you know, put his children's futures in jeopardy? Is that your solution? Really? Like, doesn't make sense to me. And by the way, the, the men in those scenarios almost always to a man realize that their feelings are completely irrational, right? This, there's no actual there there with regard to their partner's past. So, you know, sometimes walking away is the right choice, but it certainly isn't always. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think even in the the jealousy that I speak on a lot, which is what you were talking about earlier, you know, someone attractive in a bar, my my boyfriend or my husband or my wife is looking at that person and I get upset and jealous or they're talking to them. But I think in both scenarios, most of the time we do have an idea that we are being potentially irrational, right? Like we're kind of mm -hmm. maybe already aware that, yes, as strong as these feel and as strong as my conviction is that maybe this is wrong, we also have that tinge of, uh, but I may be being irrational. So we can already kind of feel that. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like to think of it as you know, the way I frame it as listening to your higher self, despite the protestations of your ego. So I see jealousy as being largely about insecurity and fear. And that's the ego. That's the part of us that wants to keep us small. That's the part of us that yearns for external validation. That's kind of our smaller self or the way, the way I frame it. And you're right. When we're in these situations, there's often kind of a battle between the two opposing sides of our psyche where there's what I call our higher self, the version of ourself that knows what we should do, that knows this isn't a big deal, that knows that another fight with our partner won't do us any good, kind of our highest wisdom. And then our insecure ego that's kind of poking and prodding and also wants that attention, wants us to listen to him. 
So you're right. There's often these kind of two sides of our psyche battling. But the, the good news is the more you listen to what I call your higher self, the more you give that voice its due, the more you trust the wisdom, the deep wisdom of your highest self, the easier it becomes. And the more you build up that muscle, shall we say, of even though it's difficult in the moment, the more I listen to my highest self, the better things get you know, over the long run. You were talking earlier about mental movies, and that is what some retroactive jealousy sufferers do. They've asked several questions that they're trying to get all the details, and then they create this movie that they play in their head. I reached out to a group of retroactive jealousy sufferers and to let them know that I would be speaking with you and having the opportunity to ask you some questions. And one of the questions came up several times in a twist to being upset about these mental movies that they're playing in their head with their partner. Some mentioned they were sexually aroused by the mental movies. Do you see that often with retroactive jealousy sufferers? Yeah, it certainly happens. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the majority of cases, but I have seen that frequently, yeah, where where someone's eroticizing or sexualizing their partner's past to such an extent, it almost becomes a, a turn-on. Um, a, a couple things I would say to that. Number one, I think it's pretty likely that person is probably uh, a consumer of pornography, a video pornography. I'd noticed a, a, a correlation there. Not necessarily causation, but definitely correlation. If you're struggling with mental movies, adding more violent graphic sexual imagery to the cocktail in your head is probably not going to help matters. I often encourage retroactive jealousy sufferers to go 100% cold turkey uh, on pornography as quickly as possible. And by, by the way, this is not a moralistic argument. I'm not suggesting that pornography is evil. I'm saying if you want to solve this problem, porn isn't helping. It's probably making the situation worse. The second thing I would say is you can almost compare this to some certain um, survivors of sexual assault where they've been through something traumatic and then they start having rape fantasies or something like that. Now, obviously, I'm not comparing the two situations saying they're the exact same thing, but sometimes when something in life is so painful and so disorienting, on some level, we feel like maybe even subconsciously, the only way through it is to somehow make it, you know, make it like we like it or something, you know what I mean? To try to solve it through sexualizing it or, or through eroticizing it. That's kind of my working theory on, on why people do that. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would also say one more thing. I mean, have you ever heard of the, the Madonna whore complex in Freudian psychology? No. So it's, it's a very old idea. But in essence, some men, mostly men, uh, unwittingly go around on some level dividing women into two categories. So on the one hand, there's the virginal, pure, maternal, you know, matriarchal, a angelic figure that's pure as Snow White and, you know, sex is yeah. not even totally desexualized. And on the other hand, there's the quote unquote, the whore, the woman who is just ravenous sexual appetite, porn star, whatever. And many men, uh, when they fall in, in love and when they create a relationship and often when they get married and start having children with a woman, they desexualize her to such an extent because on some level they're playing that out in their head. But their pent-up sexual uh, feelings still need some kind of an outlet. So maybe some of these people on some level, they've desexualized their wife to such an extent, but they've sexualized her past before she was a mother, before she had kids, that kind of thing. I also think that can happen sometimes too, you know, where, where men are kind of slotting their women into these two categories or completely desexualizing their partner in the present so they have to sexualize their past. Uh, very interesting. Yes. Thank just, you a for that. just a theory. Just a theory. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I know that you have a program that you offer people to go through. One of them, Get Over Your Partner's Past Fast. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, what someone would expect from that program? Yeah, it's um, at the risk of sounding immodest, I'm really proud of it because it's it's helped thousands of people at this point. It's basically a, a very structured program people can follow at their own pace to start getting a handle on the intrusive thoughts, to start getting a handle on the mental movies, to start getting a handle on the question of values. There's a series of lengthy guided meditations throughout the course designed specifically for this issue of retroactive jealousy. I do some Q&As in there as well. But in in essence, it's the most comprehensive uh, program that I know of designed specifically for people struggling with the intrusive thoughts, the mental movies, the obsessive curiosity around their partner's past. And again, I, I like it because it's completely go at your own pace. Many people have found it very helpful. It's been updated quite a bit, but some version of the course has been going since around 2014, and we've had thousands of graduates. So I'm very proud of it. That's amazing. I wondered if you could give just a few tips for someone if they're suffering from retroactive jealousy, some real actionable things that they could start to do until either they go through your course or um, as they're you know, looking at different options, what are some things that they can start with? In terms of just basic ground level uh, advice for retroactive jealousy sufferers, number one, stop talking to your partner about their past. Sounds simple. Obviously, this alone is not going to solve your problem. But if you're in a sinking ship, you know, you should start plugging the biggest hole first. (laughs) And to my mind, that's one of the biggest causes of retroactive jealousy is just excess information about your partner's past that isn't actually important. That isn't related to a serious conflict in values. That isn't related to a deal breaker. And by the way, if you're asking your partner endless questions about their past, that's putting tremendous strain on the relationship. That's probably dampening their attraction to you. It's bad for all kinds of reasons. Stop asking your partner questions about their past. And related to that, I would say, don't put this problem on your partner or anyone else to solve. Your partner, no matter how incredible they are, no matter how much they love you, no matter how much perhaps they want to solve this problem for you, retroactive jealousy doesn't work that way. Otherwise, I would have a program you know, for the partners of retroactive jealousy suffers, but it doesn't work. It's not effective. So own this problem 100%, start taking steps to solve it. I mean, I can give a million more pieces of advice, but one thing I would suggest is try to take up some kind of basic mindfulness practice. Nowadays, everyone and their dog is preaching the benefits of meditation. You know, it's kind of, it's a very unoriginal thing to say, but there's a reason why meditation has survived for thousands of years. There's a reason why it's having such a moment in our culture right now. It's because it's an incredibly valuable tool. I'm not suggesting you should be like the Dalai Lama and, you know, striving towards enlightenment, but some kind of a basic breathing routine, some kind of basic mindfulness practice will go a long way towards orienting yourself in the present more often, because that really that's what we're interested in here. We're not interested in fretting about the future, which a lot of that's what is involved in a lot of more normal relationship jealousy, right? What if my partner leaves? And we're also not interested in fretting about the past, which is retroactive jealousy. Let's stay grounded in the present moment. And mindfulness practice can, uh, can go a long way towards that. Hey you, I just wanted to pop in and let you know the doors to the Trust Building Bootcamp are now open. Are you tired of feeling anxious and insecure in your relationship? Do you constantly worry that your partner's cheating or they're going to leave you even when there's no evidence of betrayal? 
Do you feel like, oh, I just can't trust even myself sometimes? Well, that was me. And if it sounds like you, it's time to stop second guessing. And I know some of the thoughts that you have, like, is this something that anyone would be upset about? Or am I just worried about it because of my jealousy? Well, mark your calendars for Wednesday, May 29th, because that's when our trust building boot camp begins. In our weekly one-hour sessions, you'll learn how your brain is choosing unhealthy strategies to get your needs met and how to pull yourself out of those insecure habit loops. I lead every session live to give you guidance to learn to trust not only your partner, but yourself. Whether you're struggling with past traumas or simply want to strengthen the foundation of your relationship, this boot camp is for you. And believe it or not, we actually have fun. Don't let your fears hold you back from experiencing the love and security you deserve. Spaces are limited, so visit TopSelf.com to sign up or simply click the link in the show notes to take your first step to a more trusting relationship. You won't regret it. See you there. Yeah, so I want you to take it a little bit further because one of the questions that we had was really around not necessarily so focused on their partner's past in terms of what they did, but the type of people Mm. that they did things with. And I think in a lot of cases, it was the, the exes were wealthier than them or took them on exotic trips that they're not taking them on. Could the same techniques work in that situation when it's kind of about the who it was versus the activities? Yeah. It still seems to be focused on the past part. Sure, sure. The the answer is the same. However, I would also say if you're genuinely feeling a lack of investment or commitment or desire from your partner, that isn't necessarily irrational. Now, obviously, everyone's going to be a little different there, but there could be a case where perhaps, you know, your partner isn't as committed to you as you are to them, or you're feeling some lack of love or desire or investment. And in those cases, then I think getting an outside opinion can be very valuable, um, confiding in friends and family members, therapist or a coach, something like that. But I don't mean to suggest again that this is always irrational because it isn't always irrational. However, I would also say don't sell yourself short because I think a lot of jealousy sufferers in general, we tend to sell ourselves short. Hey friend, if you're loving this episode, click on that five-star rating and leave a review for this podcast to let others know who might be feeling jealous in their relationship that they're not alone and this podcast might be worth listening to. And if you want to take your journey to tame your jealousy a step further and receive one-on-one coaching from me, click the link in the show notes to schedule your free call to see how I can help. Now let's get back to it. We don't trust our partner's words of affirmation. We don't trust their uh, demonstrated desire for us. We don't trust, you know, the the way they make us a priority in their lives. So we think that other people are sexier or wealthier, or or we think people from their past are better for them, or or whatever. So I would say trust your partner's desire for you, realizing that I really think for the most part human beings don't settle. I, I think that that certainly can happen in, in certain situations, but there's a, a lot of narratives out there that you know women just want to settle down with the boring nice guy and. Or, or men perform a similar kind of settling. Sometimes that happens, but frankly, I think it's pretty rare because human beings are selfish. Human beings respond to incentives and figure out basically what are you bringing to your partner's table. 
so to speak. Get very, very clear on why your partner is with you. And by the way, you can do this as a thought experiment with, without involving your partner. But really try to look at the two of you as objective outside observers as much as you possibly can. And just kind of let your ego run wild. Like, why is your partner with you? What are all the qualities you bring to their life? What are all the things you do for them? What have they told you? Like, you can quote them directly. Try to get a very, very clear picture on exactly why your partner is with you. And I think that that will go some way, hopefully, towards easing some of that kind of insecurity. I love that because, okay, yes, they could have had somebody who had more money than you or had a better house than you. But you can have so many other qualities that are absolutely amazing that overshadow that. I also love that you said people don't typically settle because we get in our heads a lot about that. I hear from a lot of people and the insecurity of maybe I'm not good enough or I feel like I'm not good enough for him or her. And I think that's just such a powerful thing to consider is you know, that person picked you for a reason and we are selfish beings (laughs) for the most part. And so we're not going to put ourselves through that in, in settling for someone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a pernicious myth that seems to be having a moment in our society of the the idea of, of settling. And again, I'm thinking in my head of a lot of the red pill manosphere online communities that, that have a lot of, um, what I believe to be a lot of misleading narratives about women in general. Yes, it does happen, but it certainly doesn't happen nearly as much as as what a lot of people seem to seem to suggest. Another kind of question that kept popping up was, and I think I know your answer to this, but I, I want to hear your response. People were asking and saying, okay, I know that Zachary says we shouldn't keep questioning our partner. So we shouldn't, you know, run through question after question after question about their past. But then they wanted to know, well, if I don't ask the questions about their past, how will I know if me and my partner are experiencing something for the first time or we could in the future have a sexual experience that's just for us? Yeah. One thing I would say, you know, just to, to broaden the question a little bit is sometimes people say, well, Zach, if you say that I shouldn't ask my partner about their past, how am I going to learn about them? How am I going to know about their past? And the answer to that is simply everyone's favorite topic of conversation is themselves. And if you simply sit quiet and pay attention over long periods of time, eventually that person will tell you about their past and who they are without a lot of whole, without much interrogation or or deliberate questioning on your part whatsoever. The key word there is time. The more we feel comfortable with someone, you know, the more time we spend with them, eventually we're going to start sharing our stories and opening up and all this stuff. Um, And I think also, if you want to learn about your partner's past, asking them very pointed, heated, directed questions is not going to get you the truth. Because as soon as someone feels like they're in an interrogation room or they're being judged or whatever, they clam up. If you really want to know who someone is, make them feel as comfortable as possible and as not judged as possible. And eventually they will open up about the most intimate details of their life. It's just a question of of when, if, if you're a decent listener. So that's what I'd say to that. In terms of the... You know, I get this question a lot, like the novelty of sexual experiences. It's like, well, I want to do this for the first time and I want to do that for the next time. I mean, I I guess I understand. I would say if you're from an extreme religious community and, you know, for example, virginity is an absolute ironclad value for you. Well, then, yeah, you should figure that out. And if your partner doesn't share that, then you should you should move on. No no harm, no foul. Um, Not judging that. 
But in terms of the overall, you know, I want my partner to experience this for the first time and I want them to experience that for the first time. The way I see that is every human being is a universe unto themselves. I mean, you can have related sexual experiences with multiple partners, but each of those experiences could be extremely, extremely different. So if you're worried about the novelty of a sexual experience with your partner, if they're having that experience and they love you for the first time with you, that is going to be a new sexual experience for them. Maybe they've done certain acts in the past or whatever, and that and that troubles you or, or what have you. But I don't know. I mean, the way I see sex and sexuality, and, and it's just every, I mean, every woman is a universe unto herself. There's no, there, there's a, there's limitations in comparison there. And I think the same is true for for men as well. You know, it's like every every sexual experience with a new partner is new in a very real sense. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about where you think retroactive jealousy stems from? Because one of the questions that came in as well was they know that they've had past trauma. So they had trauma in their childhood and really questioning when something happens in the relationship or they hear something about their partner's past, they start questioning, is this something that I should just, like, it's it's a moral difference between the two of us or is this just fear-based because of the trauma that's happened in my past? So could you answer that and then talk about where you think retroactive jealousy stems from? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is that whole question of determining whether or not your partner's, or sorry, whether or not your retroactive jealousy is more or less rational or irrational. That's a really, really complicated question. And it really, I mean, it's tough to give blanket advice there because it depends so heavily on the individual, their goals, their vision for the future, their partner, et cetera, et cetera. Just to be a shameless salesman, I created a program uh, called The Path to Peace that's several hours long, just about that question, because I think it's really complicated. But in terms of where retroactive jealousy comes from, I think that it can involve many factors. I think there is, and I have no evidence for this, but I think there is a biological component to this, um, some kind of obsessive thinking. I mean, they've done studies, for example, on um, people with just plain OOCD, and there are parts of their brain that are functioning a little differently. So I do think there is some kind of biological component to this. You'll find often that many retroactive jealousy sufferers are overthinkers in general. And while that certainly doesn't indicate a mental disorder, I think it does indicate that you know our brains might function a little differently from a lot of people's. And I also think for many people, social, cultural, religious factors can be involved. I mean, I don't think it's an accident that I get a lot of emails and a lot of questions from people in more religious slash socially conservative countries, um, Saudi Arabia, India, Pakistan, places like that. That certainly doesn't represent all of us, but that is a sizable chunk. I think those those social and cultural religious factors can definitely play a role. And I also think if for anyone struggling with this, it's a good idea to go back to your childhood or your adolescence and start thinking about some of your earliest ideas about men, women, dating, sex, and sexuality. Because as we all know, those early ideas about the world, you know, they can form some of our, our background programming for decades later, even though we might not be entirely conscious of it. So it's good to think about that as well. You know, what are the, some, some of the earliest ideas that, you know, I was presented with about good girls and bad girls or good men or sex or sex is bad or sex is, you know, whatever. It's like really start time, spend some time thinking about that stuff because I think that can often play a role as well. And certainly past trauma can play a role for certain people. Maybe someone was betrayed terribly 
in a past relationship. Or maybe one parent betrayed another, you know, in a, in a relationship or something like that. I've definitely heard that story more than once as well. Um, some kind of past trauma that could be spurring on retroactive jealousy. Because I know that you've done so much work and this really started with work on yourself, where do you think yours came from? Oof, that's a good question. Um, well, now I'm getting really personal. To be honest, I think uh, once I came out with this issue, I started hearing from certain family members, I won't say who, who struggled with very similar issues. And that's what another reason that leads me to think that there's probably at least some biological component to this. Because again, people only felt comfortable telling me about this after I became the, the retroactive jealousy guy. Um, so I think that's rather interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's related to past trauma for me. I mean, I grew up in an extremely loving, supportive household. My parents were married, you know, 30 years until my mother's death. Extremely good marriage. I had no problems with, with women from, from an early age, even, you know, high school and stuff. Uh, no issues there. So I think for me, it was largely about I think there, I think there probably is some biological component if one were to study my brain, <laughs> my strange brain. Um, but I also think, you know, for me, it was unrealistic ideas about life and love. And I think I was an extreme romantic in my early years. I mean, you know, I write poetry and I'm a songwriter and, you know, I go to Shakespeare plays and I had this kind of really romantic idea about the way the world works. And that led me to say and do some really ridiculous things. I mean, the thing that I think about all the time, that makes me cringe to this day is I remember in my first serious relationship when I was, when I was a young man, I said to my then girlfriend with a straight face, I said, if you even are attracted to anyone else at any time that we're together, I don't think we should be together, which like, that's insane because there's sexy people everywhere. I mean, even, even if it's just a fleeting noticing of, of another good looking person, for me, that was too much. I mean, that's how extreme I was in some of these really conservative views about, about, life and love. And it's weird because I didn't grow up in a house like that. But I think maybe, I don't know if it was what I was reading or, or, or you know, whatever. But, right. but it, it, at the end of the day, a lot of it was just plain about fear. I was desperately in love with an incredible woman. And I was scared to death of losing that. And it brought up all kinds of emotions in me. And yeah, it was, it was a really, um, it was confusing, you know, just how extreme my emotions were around that relationship. Well, thanks for sharing that what I hear often and what I experienced was, you know, I felt bad for some of the stuff that I said and I did to my partners at the time. But I will say, like, no one wanted to be different or to change more than me. Sure. And I was the one who had control over that, but it felt very out of control. Like, I, there was no control. There was no way to change the way that I was and sort of yeah. just felt doomed that this is the way I'm made and there's no answer for this. Um, yeah. If I can just so speak to I that. that those are really strong. Just sorry to cut you off. I was just, one, one thing I, I feel strongly though about mentioning is I think sometimes some people, when they find the term obsessive jealousy or they find the term retroactive jealousy, they kind of use it as an excuse to engage in a lot of counterproductive and some borderline abusive behavior in their relationship because they use this diagnosis as like, I can't help myself. You know, I have this thing. It's like, what can I do? I've, I'm a victim, right? And I want to be clear that that is not what I'm about at all. I mean, 
We may not have control over our thoughts all the time. We may not have control over the fact that we're struggling with this issue, but we always have control over our actions, over the the choices we make in the present. So I just always want to emphasize that point. Don't use a diagnosis of obsessive jealousy or retroactive jealousy as an excuse to treat your partner poorly. Um, It's just a lousy situation for everyone involved. And believe me, if you have any conscience at all, eventually you will feel real profound regret uh, at some of the decisions you're making right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming back and saying that because I do think that is important to not fall on that for people to not think, oh, well, that's just how I am. Oh, okay. They're great. There's a name for it. That's just how I am. And like it or don't, that's how I'm going to be. We've now identified it, but that's just even more of a reason to go, okay, I do know that this now has a name and that there are things that I can do to overcome this and to be better in my relationships and to be better in myself. Absolutely. Well said. Any last final advice for retroactive jealousy sufferers before we let you go? Yeah, I would say, God, I won't go on for an hour, but I easily could. Um, own this problem. Uh, take the steps. Do whatever you know research you need to do to find something that works to start making progress. If that involves therapy, great. If that involves my work, great. If that involves someone else's work, great. The point is you have to start taking steps to find the, the resources you need to start healing. Unfortunately, this problem does not go away on its own. Um, many people try that. They just think if I just ignore it, it'll go away. It doesn't. You have to start taking proactive steps to start healing. And by all means, do not lose hope. Because even if I always say, even if you don't believe me in my story, that's fine. You can go on my website and find dozens and dozens. I think we're over 100 now of real testimonials from real people who've, you know, taken the steps and they've worked through this problem. You are not destined to live with this for the rest of your life. You're not destined to a life of singlehood because you can't handle an intimate relationship. There are things you can do. There are steps you can take that can truly, you know, put this problem behind you for good. Peace of mind is absolutely possible. It's simply about taking the steps. Yeah, love it. Just if one thing doesn't work, we try a different method and try a different technique, I think is very important. Yeah. Don't lose hope. That's my message. Thank you, Zachary Stockhill. I appreciate you joining Top South. Thanks very much for having me. I enjoyed it.